start, I guess, by uh, congratulating you. Uh, congrats on extending Salvador Perez. That's a great way to start a new season, especially with fans in attendance. Uh, Tao, when they announce a move like that, especially for someone who is essentially a franchise legend at this point, how does that reverberate throughout the front office? Yeah, it was really positive and uh, really happy to see that done, really on both sides. I think it's a win-win for obviously Salvi, and he spoke about that, about his you know legacy and long-term uh, future with his family, um, you know, uh, with his kids and, and parents and all that. So it's great on his end and then great on our end to, to keep such a marketable player um, long-term. And he's been great for the organization, great in the clubhouse. He's really our true leader, uh, marketable player. Um, he's great on the field too, obviously. Um, so it's great to just extend him long-term and uh, he is, he's a Royal at heart. So, um, you know, it's, it's a match made in heaven, so to speak. Our fans love him. He loves the city. Um, so it's great to, to have him as a longtime Royal. Yeah. And after decades in the wilderness of, you know, the Bob Hamlin era and the Angel Barroa era, it's yeah, yeah. really nice to have a face of the franchise who has that right. connection to the championship long-term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just had that with uh, Alex Gordon who retired last year, um, you know, so um, this will be a great chance to kind of uh, move on, you know, from Alex Gordon to, to Salvador Perez and, and Gordon was that, you know, legacy player with the Royals, the face of the organization. And, and now Sally will become that, but yeah, it's great to have, you know, players um, with us for an extended period of time. Um, to really connect with our fan base. Yeah, it's it's important, I think, especially when you have a franchise-defining moment like 2015 was for the Royals, to hang on to a couple of those guys throughout the duration of their careers just because it's that extra special emotional connection that fans yeah. have that even when Alex Gordon toward the end of his career clearly was nowhere close to the player he was in his prime, there was still that attachment there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, people love Gordon, um, what he meant to the city, some of his iconic moments, um, both offensively and defensively. Um, and Salvi has that same stuff. Um, I mean, he was uh, the World Series MVP. Um, he had some key moments for us in the postseason, both years that we were there. Um, you know, so there, there's iconic moments for, for Gordon and for Salvi. And um, so it's, it's great to be able to play off that. Yeah, and all this is just a big way of leading into the most important question of this discussion, which is, and I can't believe I'm asking this, can you guys teach the Cubs front office how to spend money? Because <laughs> we uh, have a few well, from our championship that are kind of due up for free agency that I want to hang on to, you know? <laughs> it, uh, it was a good offseason for us, I must say. Um, uh, and shout out to our new owner, Mr. John Sherman, um, who has... Uh, put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, and and really been aggressive this offseason in terms of um, some free agent signings, uh, Carlos Santana, Michael Taylor, um, uh, Mike Miner, um, and then some others. Um, we got Wade Davis back, uh, which is great. So uh, there is a lot of enthusiasm around the team, both on the front office side and the clubhouse, the fan base, the front office um that uh they're in it to win and be aggressive which is great and, and to spend some money awesome at, uh, and we will jump right into the on-field discussion in just a second here but yeah what you're telling me is that the key to a good offseason is 
New ownership. That's the lesson I'm getting here. Okay, <laughs> we'll take that. That's good. Uh, this is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 68, appropriately enough, the Jorge Soler episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My oh. name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus and comedian trying to fight with Kroger to see if I can get a vaccination to get me back on stage sometime right now. The other voice you are hearing is part of the front office that oversees Jorge Soler's current team, the senior manager and special of special events and promotions for the Kansas City Royals. Matthew Schulte is joining us. Matthew, great to have you. Awesome to be here, Ken. Thank you. It is a pleasure. Have you enjoyed Jorge so far? I would imagine you would. <laughs> yeah, he is, uh, man, he hits the ball far, doesn't he? Um, yeah. So we, we have a nickname for him, Solaire Power. Love it. Um, we have a bobblehead that we're going to do in his honor this year that I'm really excited about. Um, so, yeah, he's been a, a great player for us the last couple of years. Yeah, he was someone that the power was there from his literally his first at bat uh, of his major league career with the Cubs was a home run to deep left field in Bush Stadium in yeah. like August of 2014. And it was almost like an announcement to St. Louis that, uh, yeah, you know how things have been for the past five years? It's about to change in a big way. And he was also a part of, obviously, the 2016 Cubs team that made my lifetime. So I'm right. glad he's doing so well for you guys. That, uh, and it's, I'm glad he's the face of the franchise for kind of this current generation. Yeah, he's our power hitter. And, um, you know, he's been able to stay healthy. And uh, I think he was the home run leader a couple of years ago. And uh, so we're... We're hopeful that he can repeat that um, again this year. But uh, yeah, he is our our cleanup hitter, which uh, which is great to have someone that can hit the ball really, really far. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird, isn't it? That uh, after how long did it take Mustakas to set the uh, the team home run <laughs> record? Uh, you know, I don't, I can't remember the exact number of years, but yeah, it was like thirty five years or something. Yeah. And then yeah. what? Two years later, so there comes along yeah. and Jack's fifty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so took that record uh, not too long to get surpassed, but uh, yeah. Mike Moustakas, who is otherwise known as, what is it, Steve Bal Balboni's worst nightmare? <laughs> That's true. Or Moose, either one. Yeah, Moose rolls off the tongue a little bit better, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, want to give Steve a shout out. Why not? Oh, uh, yeah. Good name drop there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's the way my brain works that every so often, and it's it's a great baseball name too, isn't it? It's that era of the the great Steve Balboni, Pete Incaviglia, Mike Pagliarulo, multisyllabic last names that yeah, as right. like a 10-year-old, those were always the ones that stuck with me for some reason. <laughs> yep. And uh, so let's jump from the mid-80s Royals era to current day, because as we were about to discuss, uh, yeah, it's, I, I know that there is optimism uh, for this season and coming off of the way the past few years have been, especially after the back-to-back hundred -back losses of the end of the Ned Yost era, I got to imagine it feels like things are kind of surfacing again almost, right? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it, it definitely was a, a rough last, I mean, I guess three years, if you count 2020, um, you know, we had two hundred loss seasons in 2018 and 2019. Um, and we want to get back, you know, to championship form or at least being competitive again. And I think we're headed in that direction um which is great so I, th I think the team is going to continue to be competitive on the field um put together a winning product um that's really the direction from ownership and, and baseball ops um 
And so I think we're headed that way. Uh, I think, you know, you got to stay patient with it with some of these young players, but, um, and we're also in a very competitive division with the White Sox and the Twins. And I, I think the Indians will still be right there. So it, it's going to be tough and an upward climb, but uh, we're getting there. Yeah, the White Sox right now, it feels like they were where you are yeah. maybe two or three years ago at this point and are now kind of really kind of coming into their own. So, yeah, that's surmounting them, I think, is going to be the tough part in, in this coming season. Yeah. And so with the two major offensive additions in Andrew Benatendi and, right. and uh, Carlos Santana, how deep does your lineup feel at this point? Because it, it, just from looking at it from afar, it looks like a, at least a solid maybe one through five in the order. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I would go even further than that. Um, I, I, I think what those two players bring us as well is some patience at the plate. I know that's something that we've really tried to improve on is, um, you know, walks per game and taking more pitches during at-bats. Um, not being necessarily so aggressive. Um, and those two players are good at that. So um, I think they've tried to instill that mindset as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think this will be a better lineup from top to bottom um, and to be more aggressive. We were in general a, a decently okay offensive team, um, but we definitely needed to improve in that area. And so it was uh, Dayton Moore's direction to really improve the outfield, um, improve the corner positions, um, you know, and pitching as well. But uh, yeah, I, I think those two additions will be uh, good for us in the clubhouse. Yeah, you mentioned patience to the plate and that's a very yeah. 2021, I mean, obviously very now baseball concept. And I, I kind of think back to the last time the Royals jumped up into, you know, from nowhere into contention in the 2014 and 2015 seasons. Mm -hmm. And those were so much more of kind of a unique team in terms of that kind of one through nine where there wasn't, incredible patience there was incredible power but there was that constant contact right right uh, and do you kind of get, especially given the giant ballpark you play in do you do you kind of wish that you had some of that as well I mean you do with Merrifield to an extent but do you wish you had a little bit more of that yeah without a doubt I mean I think that's always kind of been the brand of Royals baseball so to speak and you know what I loved about that 2014 and 2015 team is there wasn't necessarily a, a superstar, so to speak. I mean, there are some really good players. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, um, but you know, they, they really had that team mentality and, and that mantra of keep the line moving, you know, of do your job and then pass the baton on to the next person. And, and they all did a really good job of staying within their lane, um, doing what they could do with their potential and extending it on. And they, they were a true definition of a team. Um, which was really great to see and really rewarding. Um, and I think you're kind of getting there again with this team as well of, you know, uh, putting the ball in play, um, speed, uh, defense, making the other team make a play, um, being aggressive on the base paths um, and really putting pressure on the other team. And I think we're trying to get there again. Yeah, it's interesting because when I think of the most important bats in your lineup, that you've got a couple of those guys that Merritt, Whit Merrifield, as I mentioned before, and also mm -hmm. Benintendi is also a pretty good contact tool as, as a hitter, if I recall. And then you're also kind of splitting it where then you have kind of the more classic walks and home runs with Santana and Soler. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I find it, I, it, it's almost like they're, they're trying to have it both ways in that. And, and it honestly, it could work if, if, you get the best out of everybody in a given year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you hope you can have it both ways. Right. Um, but it, because you also can't ignore the, the home run either. I mean, that's the way the game is going. 
um, you know, for the most part. So, um, you know, the Royals have to hit the ball out of the ballpark without a doubt. I mean, that's important um, to scoring runs. So I think there's definitely a focus there too so yeah if, if we can have the cake and eat it too and, and be a home run team and a contact team um then we'll take it yeah what, what i like and I, I i keep hearkening back to those 2014 and 2015 teams about yeah. them was just because they stood out so much so much from every other team in baseball that they were kind of like watching a unicorn uh and almost a throwback to those mid 80s eras of especially the whitey herzog cardinals where it was just such a different team approach that if they performed at the top of their capabilities, other teams didn't know how to approach them. And the thing that I remember, one of the things I remember most about the 2015 World Series in particular was Noah Syndergaard going up and in on Alcides Escobar with the first pitch of the game in mm -hmm. game three mm -hmm. because those great Mets pitchers, that incredible staff that they put together, did not know how to deal with that Royals contact first lineup to the point right. where you have to buzz Alcides Escobar of all people to send a message. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, swung at the first pitch in game one, swung at the first pitch in game two. Um, and so finally they got the message game three, but uh, yeah, they, they were an aggressive team of swinging, but they were making contact. Um, and what was great was our bullpen was so strong where you could really shorten the game, you know? And so if we had the lead come the sixth inning uh, game over, and so that also created more pressure on the other team to, to score early and often because uh, you aren't going to score late. Yeah, and that's, I think, was also probably the biggest key of that Royals team, yeah. uh, group of teams was being kind of the first team to realize that if you just put killer arm after killer arm after killer arm, then you've got one third of the game taken care of. Right. Yeah, power arm me. after power arm. Yeah, and that leads me to uh, one of the questions that I've written down. Uh, is Josh Stalmont going to be the beginnings of another law firm type bullpen like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're actually, they were talking on the radio about that this morning of what's the next uh, seventh, eighth, and ninth uh, inning relievers. But uh, yeah, I think he'll be one of them without a doubt. And uh, talk about a power pitcher, um, but also finesse. I mean, he, he is uh, fun to watch pitch um, and he can really rile it up there. So I, I don't know where he'll land. I think um, Greg Holland might be our closer to start the season um but stallmont will be right there whether he's seventh or eighth or ends up being the closer down the road uh but he's one that uh, uh will create fear in the other hitters um and will be a great kind of end of the game uh, bullpen uh option for us yeah stallmont i remember the first I, he, time he came on my radar was when the royals played the cubs at wrigley last year yeah, he in one of the late innings, and Jim Deshays, our color man on TV, as was soon impressed, as right? yeah. on the screen, had some fun things to say about the man bun. <laughs> yeah. And then, like five pitches in, both him and Len Casper were just like, "Oh my God, what is this?" Right. Yep, and and he rocked a man bun too, right? So not only uh, can he throw 100 miles an hour, but he looks the part too. Yeah. So if I recall, the announcers were impressed by by that as well. Big time. Yes, like. He can put fear into your heart, but he could also fit in on Queer Eye, which I think is a <laughs> wonderful combination. Yeah, yeah. It's, is, is, there, uh, is there also hope for getting something out of Wade Davis again this year? You mentioned Holland earlier. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I, I don't know if, I think he signed a minor league deal with us, if I recall. I can't fully remember. So I, I think he'll start the season on the major league roster, but I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, I think um, uh, hopefully there's still something there with him. And maybe coming back to the Royals will kind of rejuvenate him a little bit. But 
Uh, it's definitely great to see him back. We missed him. Um, he was a great closer for us and a great part of our World Series teams. Um, so to have him and also uh, Gerard Dyson back, um, mm -hmm. our speedster, he was part of the World Series team. Yeah. Um, he's back towards the end of his career. So it's kind of um, cool for us and the fan base to see some of these uh, players come back, you know, towards the end of their careers. It shows that they uh, really enjoyed their time as a Royal and, and want to finish their career as a Royal. Yeah, Gerard Dyson then can teach the next generation of players motorcycle pantomime. Yeah, right. There you go. That's that's what speed do. <laughs> that's one of the tools. Absolutely. Yeah. And on the subject of those young players, uh, how much are the Royals going to be leaning on guys like Brady Singer and Bobby Witt Jr. this year? Yeah, I mean, Brady Singer, he'll um, start the year in our rotation, I believe. Um, and then Bobby Witt, you know, is going to start the season um, in the minor leagues. Um but boy, um, there's talent there. Um, just watching him at spring training, um, you can definitely tell that he has that sixth sense. Um, you know, some people around here have kind of compared compared him to Patrick Mahomes in a way of just that sixth sense. Um, you know, I don't want to compare him already to Patrick Mahomes, but he just he has that tool that you can tell he gets it right. That he is just that special athlete that 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 knows the game and and how pitchers work and how hitting works. And has that eye for it. So um, we're all we're all really excited. The fan base is excited. Um, you know, I think it's the right call to start him out in the minor leagues. Um, I think he is only 20 years old, uh, but uh, I think we'll see him up at the at the big league level. Um, you know, maybe sometime this year, but very soon. Yeah, I can give you at least one completely accurate and factual Pat Mahomes comp for Bobby Witt Jr. because the Bears also didn't draft him. Yeah, right. But I'm bummed. Yeah, yeah. You occasionally hear about that in these parts. Yeah, yeah. On the radio. So, yeah. Um, so does it feel like with things kind of rounding into at least the form of the next kind of foundation for contention, does it feel almost like the weight was nothing compared to what it took to get from 1985 to 2015? Boy, um, yeah. I mean, there was... Uh, we, we spent a lot of time focusing on, on the old, the older years, right. Of, of 1985 and, and reliving that or reliving that. And um, so it was nice to have the 2015 world series to be able to, to not, I mean, I don't want to say move on because, you know, you still want to honor and respect the, the uh, 85 team. Um, but we, we hit that pretty hard on the head. So be able to, to have, you know, 2015 um, to get that under our belt um, you know, it, it just kind of builds your fandom, you know, for the next 10 years, so to speak. Um, so it was great to have that, uh, to be able to replay that over and over. We haven't had any sort of, we've, we've now passed the five-year anniversary. We didn't do anything for that, but we'll probably, you know, do something for the 10-year anniversary in, in 2025. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was nice for our fan base to, to be able to go get rid of the long drought and, and have that championship. And I still see championship gear, you know, around town, which is great. Yeah. As you should, that's a transcendent moment in franchise. Yeah. And it's nice to have one of those where George Brett is cheering everybody on as opposed to on the field too. Yeah. That was kind of cool as well. You know, he's part of our front office group um, and, you know, they showed him on camera and he was at all the games um, so he was right there um, along the ride. So and that really kind of complemented the old with the new, um, kind of tying the two uh, together. Uh, but it's great to have George, you know, a part of the 2015 run and team and 
uh, boy, he was excited. I mean, it felt like he had won the championship, right? He was cheering uh, in the crowd just as crazy as the players were. Oh, yeah. That was one of the best parts is seeing him that enthusiastic and one of the luxuries just going off. And yeah, to see someone who's of an era of similar greatness that committed to the current players. I mean, that's always as a baseball fan. Great to see. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So he usually goes down to spring training and spends time with the younger players. And he's done a good job of kind of giving back and uh, being an ambassador for us and, and anything that we need in the community of being there for us, which is great. We'll be right back in just a moment to talk about actual fans and the actual stands at actual Kauffman Stadium. But first, let's celebrate America's other favorite pastime, rampaging capitalism. So let us segue into the 2021 season then going forward in terms of your role in the front office and kind of preparing for the fact that, well, I guess the best way to sum it up is there will not be a cardboard George Brett in (laughs) Kauffman Stadium this year. There is a real one. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, get rid of the cut, the cardboard cutouts. No more. Yeah. You guys, you guys had a strong cardboard cutout game last year too, if I remember right. So there was, there were some solid ones. Did you have a Buck O'Neill one? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, we did Buck O'Neill. We did some Star Wars characters. We oh, did uh, Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. Yes. Yes. Uh, that one was a classic one. Um, we did a Where's Waldo mm-hmm. uh, cutout. We did it with several dogs of players and, and all that. So we lived in the wild world of uh, cutouts last year, you know, something crazy that, you know, obviously you don't learn in college or anything. There's no textbook on any of that, but uh, it was fun. It was good for our fans to have the cutouts. And we did, you know, redemption after the season where fans could um, keep their own cutout that they had here. So it was nice to do that last year and it was nice to do something, but yeah, we're everybody I think is ready to move on from the cutouts and, and and have uh, living, breathing people in our stands. Yeah, I, I don't think even the best sports management program offers any courses in worldwide mm-hmm. pandemic. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I learned a lot about masks, as we all did, right? About masks and PPP yeah. items and, you know, all this stuff um, that you didn't learn in textbooks. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, and you mentioned before we started recording that you're going to Kauffman Stadium about every other day right now. Yeah. Have you had a moment yet where you kind of just kind of take a look at the field and just kind of imagine what it's going to feel like when people are back in? Yeah, I try to. I mean, yeah, I, I try to look at the field every time I'm at the ballpark. Um, and, and the field looks great right now, which is exciting. We, we refreshed our video boards this year for, high, for more technology. So they're going to look fantastic. Uh, we've had a lot of rain recently, so the field looks nice and green. Um, so you start to get that excitement, especially we're a week away now from opening day and there's a lot of hustle and bustle around the ballpark. Um, so you're starting to feel the energy now, you know, but um, it'll be so nice to have fans back. We're all so excited. Um, we're going to have 10,000 people um, for our opening day and for our games in April. Um, and opening day is going to be a sellout for us. So um, we're excited to have the fans back because that's really where you get the energy, right? Um, is, is from the fan base. And I know the players are super, <laughs> super excited to get that energy back as well. Um, but uh, yeah, there's no better day than opening day. Just that, that, that fresh mindset of spring is here and baseball's back and, you know, your record is zero and zero. There's a lot of optimism to, to see the, the ushers back, the concession workers to smell hot dogs and peanuts again. And, um, and to see season ticket holders and all that. It, it's a fun day um, around Kansas City. 
Is, is there a moment that you think is going to hit you particularly in the fields where you realize that, oh, man, we, we've kind of made it? Probably after first pitch mm. <laughs> when things fall down, you know, because um, you run on adrenaline a lot that day. Um, and so a lot of my work is pregame. Um, so once we get end game, I think I'll be able to take a deep breath. Um, and, you know, whether just look out on the concourse in the field or take a seat and just, yeah, take that deep breath and be like, whew, we made it, mm. you know? Yeah, that, that's a real, real nice feeling, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, and a sense that you just kind of, you survived personally and also survived professionally. Oh, sure. Right. And, and for us, you know, the busiest time of year is that month leading into opening day. You know, I, I compare a lot to like a, a musical or a show of, of once it starts running. Um, yeah, there's a lot of work in season, but it becomes a routine. Um, there, there's a motion to it, um, but it's it's everything you need to do to get the curtain open. Right. So it's we're getting everything set up right now. So the busiest month is, is March and getting everything ready to go for day one, and then it'll have a rhythm to it. So yeah, there's a lot of work going on right now, but uh, but we'll be ready and it'll be all good. Yeah. Is it, how, how stressful is this preparation? Is, is it this year more stressful than other years or is it about uh, the same? Yeah, without a doubt. And it's it's the element of, of COVID really and having fans in the ballpark. And like I mentioned, we're excited to have fans, but when you have fans in the ballpark, it there, there's now more questions um, than answers, right? Of, of uh, last year when you had no fans in the ballpark, it was that simple. Well, no fans, that's it. But now when you do have fans, it's, well, what can fans do? What can't they do? What are the protocols? Um, what uh, ticket inventory is there? What can we promote and market? Um, there's just a lot of unknown, you know, a lot of uncertainty going um, into this time. So there is a lot of stress and, and a lot of unanswered questions. And a lot of it got condensed into, you know, doing it the last month of the season because of the uncertainty of COVID and how many fans we can have. But um, so I think we're all eager to get past opening day, get into the season. And I think we'll have a better feel of how the protocols are working and operating, how fans are reacting, how are ticket sales going um, to get a better sense of, of how we're going to operate and function this year. Uh, how are you planning on ensuring that fans will comply with masking and social distancing requirements? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think we're going to utilize our ushers a lot for that, um, whether it's signage, um, announcements on the scoreboard, um, you know, ushers being polite and kind of monitoring everything. But yeah, I mean, masks are required. We'll have sanitation stations throughout the ballpark. Um, we're going uh, completely cashless as well. So really trying to go digital um, with tickets, with concessions, um, with parking, really trying to limit the interaction as much as we can. So really trying to do kind of a stripped down version of, of the ballpark experience. Um, but um, I think fans for the most part understand it. They're used to it now. They know, uh, you know to wear their mask uh, when they're not eating or drinking. Um, so uh, hopefully it will go smoothly. Yeah. And when you hear about a team like the Texas Rangers who are going to be allowing in a full house on opening day, yeah. is your response partly, uh, what? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little hard to um, conceptualize, right? And I think just in general of, of hearing of any event that's at full capacity. I mean, I keep thinking even having 10,000 fans at the ballpark. I mean, I haven't been 
with 10,000 people and, you know, over a year, right? None of us really have. So um, I think that will take some time getting used to. And I know obviously people will be distanced and all that, but just seeing that many people in one place, I think will be weird as well to see. So um, yeah, so to, to imagine, you know, what, what is it, whatever it is, 35,000, 40,000 people in Texas will be interesting to see how that goes. Um, I know they're still gonna have protocols in place um, you know, you do have to get approval from MLB on all this. So I'm sure they'll try to do things safely, but it will be a different experience uh, to see how it goes. But uh, we're hopeful to get to that point at some point, um, maybe later this summer, um, of being able to offer a bigger capacity of fans uh, as well. Yeah. And, and I, for myself, just kind of putting myself in a situation seated in a ballpark with, you know, 10,000 like you're having at, at the Kaufman Stadium. At, the thought that I have in my mind is I'd, I'd have to get over at some point the idea of this is okay. Like that there, right. would, there would be a voice in my head going, are you sure you're safe? Are you sure you're right. safe? Right. Right. And in order to, you know, properly enjoy a baseball game, you got to kind of suspend disbelief and get into, you know, the fantasy of the competition that's in front of you. And right. I guess it's a measure of how, effective or how compelling the game is going to be as to how easy it's going to be to kind of get over that mindset of, am I doing the right thing here by, by being here? Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm sure people are going to think about that. I'm sure I will. Um, again, just getting used to that experience again of being amongst a, a lot of people, um, you know, and we are doing kind of pods of seating. So mm-hmm. that should hopefully help. And, you know, the chiefs um, did the same thing um, this winter. So there is some, um, history with this a little bit in this area. So people have done it before, um, but you're right. I think people are gonna, you know, question and, and hopefully they'll feel, you know, safe and we're solid that we're doing things right. And, and also thankfully it's an outdoor venue too, yeah. right? So that definitely helps everything as well to be, to be outdoors. And um, what's great is, you know, more and more people are getting vaccinated here. Um, so numbers are getting better here, which is great. So. Um, hopefully um, there'll be no issues. Yeah, it's, it's I guess the kind of, the, the thoughts in my head of, I, it's, it's not as important in the bigger picture of things, but there's still a sense of, I want things to be fun again, you know? Right, yeah. And going to a ball game is a big part of things being fun again. And right. and yeah, there, there is that, that mental hurdle, as you say, that we got to get over though for it. Right, and, and it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I didn't end up going to a Chiefs game this year, but you know, when you do have all these protocols in place, um, you know, is it fun? You know, I, I think hopefully it will be for people and we'll try to still have a lot of the bells and whistles and entertainment. But, you know, when you're worrying about keeping your mask on and, and sanitizing and not touching this and doing that, um, I'm sure it's going to be stressful for people um, enjoying the ballpark experience or any stadium experience these days until we get to a used to it or a better place. Um, because it, I mean, yeah, even when I, you go to a restaurant right now, right. It's, it's still more stressful now than it was a year ago. So, um, and a ballpark is 10 times that of a restaurant. So yeah, I think it's just going to take some time getting used to things. So we're taking things on a much, uh, on a month by month approach, um, and kind of reevaluating things on a month by month basis and, uh, seeing how things go. Yeah. I mean, I was just last weekend, I walked outside of, uh, uh, out of uh, Boys Town here in Chicago and walked past one of the bars had their windows open and there were, I mean, it was pretty packed inside, especially given Chicago's restrictions and everything. And yeah. as I walked past, I mean, there there were go-go boys and G-strings dancing in the bar. <laughs> so 
my mind was like, this is sexy, but also dangerous. And I'm not sure how I feel about those two right. things. Right, right, right. <laughs> and obviously without the go-go boys, but yeah, baseball is going to be essentially that until <laughs> I guess at a certain point, hopefully that we just kind of look back and go, well, yeah, I guess that worked out okay. But there, there's there's no guarantee at this point. And that, that's the scary thing. Right, right, exactly. And there, there's no flipping a switch either of like, you know, come June 1st, suddenly yeah. things will be back to normal. So it's it's that easing back into it. I think that we'll have to do. Um, but yeah, who knows um, when things will get back to that quote unquote new normal uh, down the road. But uh, I, we're excited to have a full season of baseball, which is great this year um, and to have fans and, you know, hopefully as the summer grows to open up the ballpark more and more um, to do more activations as well. Uh, to do more giveaway items. Um, that's something kind of from my realm mm -hmm. that we're kind of right now, we are, we kind of push things back on our promotional calendar. So April and May are pretty light and we wanted to give ourselves more time uh, to hopefully let things improve. And so the months of June, July, August are more heavy on giveaways, events, theme nights with the hope and optimism that we'll be able to do more activations then and photo ops and face painters and uh, handing giveaway items out to people. So, um, you know, we're hopefully planning on, on doing more activations as we go. I like hearing that because I, I like that you're approaching this season as a sense of, yeah, let's act as if this is going to happen. And then right. if things, events happen that might maybe make it more difficult, we can scale back later right. on. But, yep. But that's yeah, exactly. encouraging. But, uh, and since I work for Outsports, I have to ask is, Pride Night 2021 on the schedule at any point? <laughs> it is. It is. Um, uh, June, uh, mid-June, I think, uh, we're doing a tank top uh, that has a Royals um, logo on it with uh, the Pride colors. So, yeah, we're excited. It's our second official Pride Night. We did our first one in 2019 um, as a theme ticket. Uh, that theme ticket sold out which was great. So there was great optimism and enthusiasm about our first Pride Night. It went well. Um, it was on our schedule in 2020. Obviously, we postponed it. Um, and now it is happening again in 2021. And we'll do it during Pride Month, um, which is uh, great. So yeah, we are still hoping to have the Pride Night. Yeah, I remember writing a story about the, the previous Pride Night and how it yeah. did connect so well to the community. Is, is there a sense that just because we went through a pandemic, you can't kill that connection between the Royals and Kansas City's LGBTQ sports fans? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, our focus um, really in the last year has been on inclusion and diversity, um, you know, on all elements and all areas. Um, and, you know, LGBT is one of that. Um, so, yeah, we continue, we want to continue to welcome all fans with open arms um, show that um, we want their fandom, we support them, we believe in them. Um, everyone is a Royals fan here in this area. So I think Pride Night is very important to that community and I totally get it and understand it. So I'm glad that we're doing it. We'll continue to do it. And we'll find other ways to partner with the LGBT community in Kansas City, not just the Pride Night, um, but other organizations around town um, and make it you know more of a long-term goal of, of bringing more LGBT people into the game. I love it. That, then it becomes a permanent thing and then it becomes expected every year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, and we, I, I found that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of LGBT people in Kansas City are Royals fans and, uh, and they they want to see the support and love from the Royals. So um, I, I think there's a good connection there. Nice. Nice. That's, that's got to feel, especially for 
long-term LGBTQ Royals fans, like, yeah, they, they have made this connection. So now it's, it's extra meaningful going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's important without a doubt. It's not, you know, you say this a lot, it's not just checking the box, but it's important to, to really um, dig deep and do grassroots elements um, to, to find those human to human connections and, and to bring people out and to have that respect um, and show that, you know, uh, play ball, um, you know, is the same across any culture, any, any person. Um, and we all love the game of baseball. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, so last and most important question then. So with fans returning to the ballpark this year and the team taking that next step toward their next window of contention is 2021 the year Denny Matthews finally shows an emotion. <laughs> oh, wow. Good for you for uh, having a feel of that. I love um, him. Oh, he's great. Uh, and, and, you know, he's done what 51 years of broadcasting, 52 years of broadcasting. Um, you know, nothing is going to change with Denny now at this point. Um, he is his own unique, um, special person and, and boy, is he a historian on the game of baseball and I love hearing him. Um, yeah, he might not be the most, you know, enthusiastic person when he's calling a, a, a game, but boy, he puts you at ease and there, you know, you, you have that connection with your radio people, right? Of when you hear them, you just want to sit on a lawn chair and relax and listen to the game of baseball. And he does present it in that way of just, you want to sit in that rocking chair with your beverage and just listen to the game um, and how he calls it. And uh, he he's a fun personality and, and a really nice guy. And, and uh, he is still going strong. Um, you know, I thought he would retire after 50 years of calling Royals baseball. He's called every, you know, game. Uh, of Royals baseball. He's been here since the start of the franchise. Um, so it's great to see him continue. Um, I can't imagine a, a Royals radio game without him. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's back for 2021 and uh, we're excited to have him again. Yeah, it's such a nice, easygoing broadcast with him. And it, it's it's a definitely yeah. a unique rhythm that he's got. And I, I, I dig it as a fan. I really do. And yeah. uh, one of my comedy friends, a guy named uh, Mike Toomey out of Chicago, used to do uh, just between us, baseball nerds he would do a, a Denny yeah. Matthews impression and I can't do the yeah. voice but it would always end up with something like and a 747 has crashed into the left field stands and the ballpark is <laughs> on fire and we'll be back with the post-game show after this right. yeah yeah that, that's that's Denny right there exactly yeah. <laughs> not, nothing you know and when you've been in the game for over 50 years you know nothing really I guess excites you anymore or all that and, and I'm sure he's excited on the inside but uh, you're right so nothing Nothing deters him or steers him, right? He, he stays uh, even keel the whole time. Yeah, Hall of Famer and a legend because of it. And, yeah, uh, oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, Matthew, do you have anything else to plug while I still have you here? Oh man, no, I mean, our, our, um, I will call out our slogan uh, this year. Every year we come out with a marketing slogan. This year it's Together Royal, hmm. um, which I think is um, a really nice slogan to kind of combine the team, uh, the community, um, together. Um, you know, I think it really encompasses the last year that we've all been through of uh, being through this together and um, getting through it together. And now we're coming out out the other end, you know, all in one piece and together. So uh, I think we're really going to play out the community aspects of that um, through our commercials and through our marketing this year um, uh, of Together Royal. So we just announced that last week. So that's kind of hot off the press. Um, but it's uh, interesting to come up with a slogan each year to kind of figure out what, what the vibe of the team is, what the mantra 
um, of our organization wants to be for this year. And um, so Together Royal is, is that uh, for 2021. That's great. And then as the team hopefully takes the next step on the field, then you really start to get the community buy-in at the same time. So that could really lead to a, a big Together Royal, I guess, catch right. going around Kansas City. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it, ideally, it all comes together in the end, right? Both, mm -hmm. both in the community, with the team, um, and they come together as one um, at the end, whether it's to, to raise a trophy for a championship or, or to salute a good season. But uh, yeah, I, I've been really proud of what we've done in the community the last year. Um, you know, whether it's raising money or, or giving to hospitals or donating. Um, so we've really done a lot of that. And then, you know, also engaging on social media, which was the main way to, to really engage with our fan base over the last year. So we've really grown um, our content creation team and, and pushing out a lot of quality content on social media. Um, so shout out definitely during the COVID year, it was um, social media and our community relations department in terms of um, really doing a lot of activations to keep us engaged when people couldn't be at the ballpark. Nice. And if Together Royal does catch on, does that mean that your victory song can be Al Green's Let's Stay Together? Ooh, it could. Oh, man. Oh, I could do <laughs> Yeah. Make that happen, Matthew Schulte. <laughs> this has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me, good sir. Yes, thank you, Ken. Appreciate the, the uh, good conversation. And uh, I must say, go Royals. Indeed, yes. Yes.